Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. It is Commander's Week, Commander's Preview Pod right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Obviously, lots to get into. We'll have Craig Hoffman of the Take Command podcast kind of go behind Emmy Lyons, give us his thoughts and his perspective on the Commanders team heading into Lucas Oil Stadium this week. Myself and George will attempt to get the second prediction of the year correct. We are, if you count quarterback decisions, one in seven on the year. So we are just absolutely killing it, George, when it comes to your prediction so far on this pod. We'll discuss some keys to victory as well. But George, I think it makes the most sense this week because obviously the move was surprising and going in benching Matt Ryan and starting with Sam Ellinger this week is the overall shock, not just from yourself and me, but from the team overall in the locker room. What was kind of your sense of the team reaction now that you're able to be at practice and be in the locker the last few days? Kind of what's their reaction so far to this surprising move? Yeah, I mean, the word you hear more than any other is shocked. I mean, it came up with just about every player that we talked to this week. Uh, you know, shock, surprise, caught off guard, however they wanted to say it. Uh, they were all getting to the same place. They all eventually came around to saying the same thing. They're all towing the company line. I, I don't know if there's a mutiny like, you know, forming right now. Uh, but they, they they all back, you know, they, they all say that they, they, they believe that Sam's a hard worker, that he's a natural leader. They see all the things in him that, that you know, they feel like they can succeed. But to a man, they're shocked that Matt Ryan was benched this early in the season. I think also at a 3-3-1 three, three record, I think a lot of it goes back to a question that we've kind of asked, you know, why not just say Matt Ryan's injured this week? He's not going to be able to play and Sam Ellinger's the starter and and, and you're going to, you know, uh, evaluate that as you go through the year. Why with 10 games remaining when you're in the heart of the, of the divisional race and you're in the heart of the wild card race, why say you're turning to this second year quarterback and, and make that, you know, a, a solid thing. I think that's where the shock's coming from. I think it'd be a totally different reaction I think you'd have a lot more guys just standing up and telling you why Sam can win on Sunday if they just simply said Matt Ryan's hurt and we're going to see where we go from here. Not to rehash the entire you know decision because we've done that a lot, whether it's the emergency pod or the midweek pod. So if you missed those, check them out on the same podcast feed you are listening to this one right now. But you're right, George. And it's kind of like they had an easy out. Like Frank Wright could have sat there and said he's a separate shoulder. They could put him on IR if they wanted to and just give them by themselves a month of Sam Ellinger to see where it goes. And then worst case scenario, if you really wanted to go back to, to Matt Ryan when he's quote unquote healthy and ready to play, even though this week I saw that he said if he wanted to, he could have and would have tried to play this week. Um, 
But I think I just kind of to show you, like, that's kind of why I like the move because this is whether it's Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, lean more or anyone else telling you this season's lost and he's not getting fooled into, oh, well, the rest of the AFC is down. No, we're in ninth place in the AFC. We're only, you know, a half game out of the playoffs. Like we can make a run. He's telling you right now, we have not had a quarterback in a while. We've tried all different guys. We thought, whether it was Carson Wentz or Matt Ryan, this is going to be a, a long-term fix or at least more than one-year fix. Nothing's working, and I think this is just kind of a move saying, you know what, we're done. Like, the, the patchwork is done. The, the hope projects are done. We are taking this seriously, and that's why Matt Ryan, I think that's why they made the news that not only is Matt Ryan bench, but like you said, bench for the entire season when there was an easy out, at least in the short term, to kind of put him on the bench for a little bit and get Sam Ellinger in there. I think that's that's another surprising part of this, why I was I did not see this coming uh, this week especially, but I mean, this is the Colts kind of finally, like you kind of mentioned before this week, addressing the or taking the quarterback position seriously for the first time since Andrew Luck retired. Yeah, now you just got to hope it works. You know, I think the fear here, and, and and again, we don't want to rehash this entire conversation from the from the week, and, and those pods are out there, so go go and find them. But the fear here is, you know, you've only really got two ways this works. Either Sam's good enough to, to take this job and move forward as, as the guy, or he's bad enough to get the guy in here. It's a really heavy quarterback draft, but I, I look at, at, at the 16 teams with a record, you know, behind the Colts right now in the draft order, and most of them need a quarterback as well. So it's I don't know that it's as smooth a road ahead as maybe some people are hoping. Especially when you make this decision seven games in instead of before the season or, you know, two or three games. And like I said, a lot of other teams have a, I guess we'll call it a head start, if you will, to get to the top of the draft for sure to get a guy they like. But let me ask you this, George, because I do wonder. So you've been at practice, you've been in the locker room. Is there like a a sense of a hangover, I guess, if, if that's the right word he described when you kind of see their players' reaction to the, the the benching. Like, I wonder if, like, if you are shocked, like, does that is that carried over in a practice? Do you get the sense, like, maybe this team is not fully locked in or could it go the other way? Like, oh, if Matt Ryan's getting benched, like, my ass could be benched next. Like, I better be on my P's and Q's to make sure. Like, is there a kind of a sense outside of just shock of the move? Is, is there a kind of a sense that this is this move has impacted them either in a positive way overall or a negative way? I think it's more of the latter. I, I, I think there's more of a sense there of if Matt Ryan can be benched, any of us can be benched. I mean, Jonathan Taylor more or less verbalized that on Thursday, um, you know, in his own way, uh, just saying that everybody's job's on the line all the time in the NFL. That's the that's the mentality you have to have to survive in this league. And that this is just sort of highlighting that, you know, um, when, when your starting quarterback goes to the bench. Um, so I think if, if anything, it, it's sort of, galvanize him on that idea there's been a couple guys DeForest Buckner in particular talk about the idea of you know this is something they have to rally around now they've got to rally around Sam uh you've had a setback your quarterback's been benched uh they they've all said you know to a man it, it wasn't Matt Ryan's fault there were a lot of other things that happened that led to that and so now they've got to galvanize and fix the things that they did wrong and support you know Sam Ellinger in, in the best manner that they can uh, I think that's kind of the mentality moving forward. They've got a really good leadership council here. Matt Ryan has stepped out of the way and, and made it a lot easier, too. You know, he could have stood up there. He would have been well within his rights to rip the team. They didn't do enough to to help me. They sold me a bill of goods. This isn't the line I thought I'd play behind. This isn't the running game I thought I would have. You know, he didn't do any of that. He could have not talked at all. That would have been the easy way out. You know, he could have gone in the training room and hid from the media all week. It wouldn't have been a difficult thing to do at all. But I think him coming out, 
literally the very first thing to happen on Wednesday when we walked into the, lo- to the locker room and saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm disappointed. Personally, it's a, it's a setback. I need to produce more and I'm going to, pr- I'm going to help Sam in any way that I can. That takes that off the table, takes the controversy away True. right away. I think he diffused that completely. I think now the locker room can come together and say, hey, no matter how you feel about this, no matter who you think should be the quarterback, no matter if you think this was the right decision, the wrong decision, if you're shocked, if you're angry, if you're overjoyed, no matter what your reaction is, your job now is to go out, clean up the mistakes you've made and help Sam Ellinger make this team a winner. It is nice in a sense that, like that, like I said, there should be some sort of sense of urgency and almost whether you want to or not, like the force change almost does bring a, a f- breath of fresh air, if you will. The offense, as we know, is going to look different this week, especially, um, and you hope that could translate over to a win in, in a 4-3-1 and one record. Speaking of which, George, how are the Colts going to get to a win? Because we've talked about this offense a ton so far in, in this pod, uh, you know, overall this season, and rightfully so, because that's been the one area where we keep on constantly talking about the offense needing to come through in order for this Colts team to win games. Obviously, we know when you go from, you know, more of a a statue, pocket passer, quick hitter like Matt Ryan is to now a guy who's more mobile, should be able to make plays outside the pocket, give you, you know, some dual threat ability. The the playbook's going to change. The offense is going to change. Does that, is this a game where we can kind of look at Jonathan Taylor, in your opinion, and say, you know what, he should, let's say, be the the biggest beneficiary from this quarterback change, or is it still kind of going to be maybe it's a, a Sam Ellinger game that's going to have to win, or maybe it's the receivers? Like, where if, if this Colts team is going to win and score some points, it's like a crazy and say another 34 point outburst. But if they just look competent, who's the guy I think is going to be most responsible? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think the obvious way to go is, is that you hope that Jonathan Taylor is able to, to, to come back and, and be a major part of this offense. Uh, that they're able to start opening some holes, give him some running lanes, and he can do his thing. That's going to be the quickest way to help out a young quarterback. I think everybody knows that. Everybody understands that. Uh, every team in the league with a young QB wants that running game to fall back on. Every team in the league with an old QB wants that running game to fall back <laughs> on. You can argue that that's part of the reason it didn't work with Matt Ryan, that you didn't have that running game that you could fall back on and and make de- keep defenses honest. Uh, I highly doubt we're going to see 102 pass attempts. You know, this is the last two weeks. Uh, I highly doubt that we're anywhere near that number the next two weeks. I think that would be one thing you can can bank on. So I suppose it's good for Jonathan Taylor in in that regard. Um, And the idea that he's going to get more carries, I think he's going to be a more focal point of the offense. Uh, I really, it it would probably not be in anybody's best interest to put this game on Sam Ellinger's shoulders. And Frank Reich has said as much, you know, that they're not going to make him, uh, that they think he'll make some plays, but that it would be unfair to kind of make him the guy uh, who's driving this, you know, whose shoulders it's all on. Uh, My question, uh, honestly, is whether or not it'll work. You know, I don't know that the running game has not worked the last two weeks because they haven't gone to it enough. I look more at the first five weeks when they did go to it and they ended up punting or turning the ball over. I I think the biggest difference between this team and last year's team is that last year they had a good run blocking line. Say what you will about Eric Fisher. He was awful in pass protection. He got Chris Carson Wentz killed a couple of times. He did a good job for the most part in the run game. Mark Glowinski and Chris Reed were road graders there at right guard, opening things up. Jack Doyle, the tight end, leading in front of that, coming out, clearing out lanes. They were a very good run blocking line. You don't have to be a great one to, to, to make Jonathan Taylor uh, useful. I mean, go back to the New England game last year when, when Bill Belichick absolutely came in with the game plan to take him away. 
If you give that guy a little bit of sunlight, he's probably going to take advantage. I think the fact that they haven't been able to do it so far this year tells you how bad this line's been. I mean, as much as we talk about the 24 sacks, it's the run game that, that, that bothers me the most. And I just, if you don't get a push from the offensive line and they really have it, I don't know that anything changes. I think you're a hundred percent right. you talk about Jonathan Taylor being the guy, like, I think it's, I think the obvious thought would be, oh, well, of course, Sam Ellinger is going to be the one we're watching and going to be the key to victory because he's the you know, only one that's you're changing on Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger who brings a different skill set. You would think that should be, yeah, you're 100% right. They, the Colts will not and should absolutely not put a lot on Sam Ellinger's uh, plate. If anything, you got to make it as easy for him, especially in this first start as possible. And that's where it goes back to Jonathan Taylor. And I I am buying into this, this game being a good Jonathan Taylor game because I think now for the first time, defenses will have to actually worry about the quarterback run itself. Sam Ellinger's not going to beat you with his arm, right? I think that's a fact for sure, especially in week number one. But what he can bring, and I think what's what, what is going to open up holes for Jonathan Taylor, is the fact that now when you bring a dual threat, you have to kind of account for not only Jonathan Taylor, but now Sam Ellinger keeping himself and going around the edge or maybe going you know, behind the tackle. You now have to kind of spread your defense out to make sure you are you know, fundamentally sound, let's say, on the right side and the left side. And what that should do for the first time this season is force defenses to defend the width of the field. Like when you have Matt Ryan back there, obviously there's no threat of him running. So you don't have to really worry about that. And keeping the pocket, it's not that hard to keep him in the pocket. But also too, like defenses are trying to defend more vertically because you're afraid of Matt Ryan beat you over the top. And quick as we saw when there's no deep threat, like we saw in Tennessee last week, all of a sudden just they will put 10, 11 guys within 10 yards line of scrimmage and whether it's trying to run the ball or pass the ball, there's not a lot of efficiency in doing so. Not that the offensive line's got to block any better because you're 100% right. We've seen who they are. They are who they are. They're not a very good run blocking team this year. That's not going to change. But I do think now when you have the threat, when you have to defend the 52, you know, was it 52 and a third yard? I'm forgetting exact here, width of the field. I think that's going to open up enough creases where Jonathan Taylor can take advantage of a defense even having a slight hesitation. Oh, is Sam Ellinger going to pull it? That's enough where, like you mentioned, he's a home run hitter. You give him one inch of space, and then boom, he's gone for a long score. I think this could be Jonathan Taylor's second best game of the season. Now, we were kind of joking before. That's not saying much, right? His best game of the year came in week number one against the Texans, 161 yards on 31 carries and a touchdown. Other than that, you have to go back to the Kansas City game in week three where he had 71 yards. That's it. That's Jonathan Taylor's right now second best game of the season, 71 yards in a game. As we know, especially after last year, that, that's like Jonathan Taylor's worst game of the season last year. So the bar is low, George. Like we're not, you know, we're not predicting here is going to be back to like last year's standard. But I do think that this he could finally find some holes a little bit easier just because uh, of when you have to defend the width of the field. I think that should open up some slightly, you know, wider holes than what he was facing so far through the first seven weeks. And I think that's the goal. I mean, if you listen to what Frank Reich and Marcus Brady have said this week, they keep saying they hope to get the running game rolling. And I think they're not going to explain it in in those terms because they're not going to tell Washington what they're going to do uh, coming into Sunday's game. But I think that's what the hope is. You know, spread the the field out, use the length of the field, mix in some some Naheem Hines into that. And then hope that the short passing game is is enough to to complement it, and that you know occasionally you're going to take that shot, like you said, get Sam Ellinger out uh, outside the pocket and let him throw the ball downfield a little bit. Uh, you know, similar to what we've seen him do in the preseason, you know, where he kind of throws those jump balls to Mike Strawn and and uh, you know and it and Des Patman and and, and how that works. Um, we'll see if that works as well in the regular season as it, as it did. 
uh, in, in the exhibition games. That's one of the big questions. But, yeah, I think this whole key to this quarterback change is Jonathan Taylor. If you can get the running game going again and Sam Ellinger can cut down on turnovers, then I think they've got a chance to improve as an offense. Again, that's a low bar, 16.1 points per game. So, right. you know, you're not asking for a, a big, big uh, push there. Uh, but I think if Jonathan Taylor can improve and Sam Allen can cut down on, on turnovers, then the offense can take some steps forward. You can feel like you've improved the team because obviously that's what's holding the team back. I mean, everybody feels the defense is not world beaters. It's not a Super Bowl championship defense, but the defense is playing winning football, like they like to say. It's doing enough to keep them in these games. It's making plays, and it's doing it without their best linebacker in Shaq Leonard, who maybe will be back this week. Uh, so you feel like the defense is the one unit that really could even get better than it has been. You know, Shaq gets in, and they add more big plays and more takeaways. They could get even better than they've been. If you can just make some forward motion on the offense, then, you know, that, I think that's the goal here. I think that's what they're trying to get to. I think they just beat me down through seven weeks, and I'm, I don't see it. I mean, Harm said right to be, to be skeptical for sure. Like I said, there's no reason to believe without a doubt. But uh, it's tough because I went back last night, George, and I rewatched the Lions preseason game just specifically because that was the earliest Sam Ellinger got in. So, again, he's not playing against most guys that are on a roster. If they are, they're not starting. So I understand that. But to your point, like, he was effective when he had a clean pocket, which we're not going to expect on, on Sunday for sure. But also the play-action game, it wasn't bad. Like, he, you know, he was comfortable. He was able to kind of remake a, you know, a nice read. He was able a few times to roll out the pocket, make a few nice throws. Like if you can establish a running game, obviously here's a, a hot take for you. It will make Sam Ellinger's job a lot easier, but if you can at least get Jonathan Taylor rolling, like you said, that's going to have to be the key on offense. Let me ask you this. How much would you run him? Sam Ellinger, that is, because we know there's, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to running a quarterback and putting him in harm's way. Is this like a heavy 10, 15 times or you still think just a few RPOs kind of keep the defense honest, but more JT. I think that's going to be a real interesting factor in this. I mean, you bring him in and you say it's because of his mobility. If you don't use it at all, then, you know, what was the point? Uh, but if you overuse it, I think one of the biggest fears, you know, with this move is that he's going to get hurt. Uh, he's not the biggest guy on the planet. Uh, we've already seen, I mean, Matt Ryan played 14 years in this league and missed three games. All indications are he would not have played on Sunday. He was going to try to play. You know, he said that Frank Reich said that he thinks that he would have made every effort to play if he'd been asked to, but every indication we have right now, he's got a grade two separation to his throwing shoulder. He probably wasn't going to play on Sunday. So this offensive line got a quarterback who'd missed three games of 14 years injured within seven weeks. To me, the biggest concern with, with Sam Ellinger right now is that he can't, can't finish the series. In fact, right now I would bet against And while I'm being, Debbie Downer today, and, and while I'm bringing the rain clouds to the podcast, I I think the odds are heavily against Sam Ellinger being to play, being able to put, stay healthy and play ten games. Sam Ellinger, let's see, six one two twenty three. Yeah, that's he's a decent size, but you're hundred percent right. If they were able to beat Matt Ryan down with what was it, eighty eight quarterback hits and twenty four sacks through seven games, like I said, it's not going to get much better. I'm I think because of that you make a great point. I don't think they're going to run him like on on cold runs as much as we would think. Because I think you're 100% right. I think Frank Reich is cognizant of the fact that anytime he drops back, even though he's more mobile, he's probably going to get hit. And so I think a lot of his runs, like let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, he runs 15 times on, on Sunday. 
I could see 10 of those being designed pass plays where he's, you know, bootlegging, rolling out, and then decides, oh, I got a lane, I'm going to go, rather than, let's say, 10 of those 15 runs are designed quarterback, you know, RPO runs. You're right. I just think it's right now, especially with this offensive line in shambles against a good defensive line for the commanders, you can't call 10 design run plays and put your quarterback in uh, in that position where he's going to get hurt but just because he's going to be under siege anytime he drops back and passes the ball where you just got to get him on the outside as much as possible, at least to give him the opportunity to either slide or to at least run out of bounds if you can, because you're right. You want to also see Sam Ellinger, what he can do. You can't see anything if he's on the sideline hurt. And like you just mentioned, Matt Ryan is, is an Iron Man. And it, it, still, this this Colts office line found a way to beat him down in just a matter of seven games. So if, if Matt Ryan is having trouble staying healthy, even though Sam Ellinger is more mobile, you're right. He's smaller. And I don't really see him being a much sturdier version, let's say, uh, than his predecessor for sure. But you mentioned before. And I, I think, I think too, just real quick, you know, again, I think what you're saying marries up with what we're hearing from Marcus Brady. I mean, what did he say on Tuesday? A lot more naked game. You know, what's that talking mm-hmm. about? Rolling him out on bootlegs, letting him make that run. And, and I think a lot of this is about third and seven, third and five, third and nine. It's not there. There's coverage. Sam takes off and with his feet goes and gets the first down. So I think that's you're going to see more of that than you're going to see him just tucking the ball and running. Right, like a snap and he gets it right, you know, quarterback power up the middle. Maybe on third and one we'll see it or a quarterback sneak more often. But otherwise, you're right. I think it's going to be a lot on the outside. And that's good. That, you have to almost do it. It's just like a, a way to survive at this point until the offense line can either improve or you can kind of figure out, you know, make uh, Sam Ellinger a little bit more comfortable in uh, his decision-making for sure. But that's, again, down the road. Just for this week, when you're just trying to win games, you're 100% right. It's going to get him on the edge and see if he can make a move or so uh, to make a defender miss. On the other side, George, you mentioned Shaquille Leonard. Uh, obviously, we're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon here, so practice is done. We're getting ready for Friday's practice. He was, in his words, he wanted to play last week at the Titans, and he was, as he claimed, outvoted by the coaches in terms of why he missed that big Titans game last week. Is there a sense at all that he's close to playing? Like, if you had to put a percentage on it, would you say 60-40 plays, or it's still truly up in the air, kind of like it was last week? I'd say 60-40, maybe even a little bit better than that. I mean, he was medically cleared. We know that from last mm-hmm. last week. You know, there, there's no more. He's cleared the concussion protocol. The nose is no longer an issue. The back's the only thing still listed on the uh, the injury report. And honestly, you know, he, he was talking today about that or talking on Thursday about that. Uh, it was more of a nerve situation, similar to Peyton Manning when he was coming back from the shoulder injury. Uh, the left side of his body, there was just a lot of, you know, nerves that were misfiring and that's what was taking so long and getting him back and he said he feels fine now now he's going to be the foremost authority on that obviously uh he said today he feels like a linebacker again he feels like he can move he can do everything that he needs to do uh and i think you know last week the coaches kind of held him well they didn't kind of think they flat out said they held him back uh basically to to save him from himself and he admitted maybe he needs that at times maybe the competitor in him it's a little bit too hard uh, not to go out there and, 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 you know, put yourself in harm's way. Uh, so I, I would say it's probably 640. We know he's medically cleared. It comes down to whether or not the coaches, and we know from his own mouth on Thursday that he feels like he can go. So it, it comes down to what the coaches want to do at this point. Do they feel confident that he can be the guy? Because part of this too is Zaire Franklin's played really well. Zaire Franklin has played really well in his place. And so if you don't feel like, like Leonard's back to being himself, you know, do you feel like Zaire's the better option? That's that's the question. Um, there's ways to get them both on the field. I'm sure they will try to do that and have them both on the field at times. 
but I, I would lean more towards yes right now. But again, we're one and seven on predictions. So we'll see how that goes. That is true. Us predicting whether he's going to play or not, right? Add it to the, to the list of wrong things. We're usually more wrong than that. If you can bet in Vegas, can it, will he play or not? Uh, put some money down on no, then, if me and George are both in the boat that he is going to play. But if he does play, George, it's going to be huge. Because we've talked about on the offense, Jonathan Taylor, and kind of him possibly having a breakout, I'll put breakout game in quotes, a better game than, than most of what he's had so far this season. But especially, too, when you look at this matchup, and not only from the Colts' perspective, when you have Sam Ellinger making his first start, but on the other side, we have Taylor Heineke. And especially if you don't watch a lot of the commanders, it's fair if you don't. I mean, there's no really reason to. Not a lot of not a lot to watch. Their, their offense is just as bad as the Colts. But if you watch last week, at least against the, the Packers, they won that game 23-21. There was a defensive score for Green Bay. And there was like at least three or four other opportunities I can count off the top of my head here where Heineke put the ball in harm's way and the Packers either couldn't make a play or there's a flag that bailed him out. Like he is definitely not shy about risking it. And the one of the biggest errors this Colts defense has struggled with so far this season has been making that big splashy play, that that timely turnover, or making you know a defensive touchdown. I think this is going to be a game where if the Colts do pull out the victory, I think they're going to need a defensive score, George. Like whether it's a pick six, scoop it, score, fumble, you know, fumble deep in their own end to kind of you know put the Colts offense you know in a position on a short field. Like you are going to need some sort of big time momentum swinging turnover, maybe two, honestly, or three, um, compared to what we saw so far through seven games, and obviously. There's no one better on the Colts defense at doing that than uh, than Shaquille Leonard. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent here. I think the ideal situation for the Colts on Sunday is that Sam Ellinger keeps the sacks to a minimum, and when he does get sacked, it's not a seven or eight yard loss; it's more of a three or four yard loss. Uh, it doesn't and fumble doesn't on the turn, sack. It doesn't fumble. Doesn't turn the ball over. Doesn't put the ball in harm's way. They punt. You know, every every drive ends with a kick, either a punt, a field goal, or an extra point. You get, say, 100 yards and two touchdowns from Jonathan Taylor, which would have been like the baseline expectation a year ago. Uh, you get that from him on Sunday, and then the defense scores a touchdown, and you add a couple field goals, you get 27 points, you win the game. You know, I think that's probably the best-case scenario on Sunday. Shaq, I think, brings you closer to that because of what he can do. I think Stephon Gilmore becomes a major mm-hmm. player in this game if t- Taylor Heineke is willing to, to test him. And I think kind of the dark horse, the guy that I think the defensive touchdown is most likely to come from is Isaiah Rogers. You know, he's he's going to mm, take some gambles. I like that. Make, he's going to take he's going to take risks. That's who he is. And you know, I think he's a guy that could be a big factor on Sunday uh, because he's that guy who will go out there and, and try to take the ball away. And again, if Shaq's out there and making you make di- different decisions, making you get rid of the ball quickly, making you throw it somewhere you don't want to throw it. Uh, even if he doesn't cause a turnover himself, there's a lot of things he does on the football field to help somebody else make that play. And when we, you know, when we talk about the offensive struggles, we talk you know, talk about him at nauseum. Well, then one of the ways to counteract that, one of the ways to, I guess, improve, still win the game despite the offense is again making a big play like this. Whether it's even on special teams, you can get you know a big kick return or a big punt return uh, to get yourself Block either you know, a score, yeah, something, right? Like. To their credit, the Colts did that a lot last season, right? Like, whether it was on special teams or defense, they found a way, it felt like, more times than not to make some sort of game-changing play. They got them back in the game or, or taking the lead. And this year, for how well the defense has played, and it's hard to criticize them, that's really been the one area they've constantly been lacking in, George, is making that kind of game-changing turnover, which would help, again, immensely if you can have Big 53 back out there who, again, is, there's no one better in the business, especially at, at punching balls out or stripping them or reading the quarterback's eyes, he will light up this Lucas Oil Stadium crowd 
uh, on Sunday if he's back and again oh. can make a play because Taylor Heineke is going to give it to you. Can that, you can you can you capitalize? That roar would be tremendous if he if he knocks out a, a fumble or he gets an interception. Uh, it might be the loudest we've heard the stadium all year, and, and it got pretty loud during that Chiefs game. So I think that's that is a high bar. Some of these other ones are not. <laughs> that one is, uh, and I think they can clear it. Uh, but, you know, when you were talking, I think to your point, one of the things that we haven't seen this year, last year, at least twice, Bubba Ventrone saw something in the special teams and, and they practiced it during that week and somebody got a block punt that led to a touchdown. Uh, I think the Rams game, I want to say, and the Jaguars game, both, where yes. he saw something early on and he, you know, he called it and it worked. It'd be a good time for him to pull one of those out of his pocket on Sunday as well. Because outside of, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here, George, outside of like week one when they had the roughing the, the punter, they haven't really mm -hmm. been close, right? Like it's, I can't think off the top of my head where they've actually had a special teams play, whether it's a block punt. They had a block field goal to their credit against the Broncos, which, you know, kind of helped keep that game alive for them. But whether it's kickoffs or punts, they've never really had any splashy plays to kind of, like I said, flip the field and, and kind of, you know, supplement the offense by special teams and defensive scores. Like, if they got it 21 points, you got to get there somehow, right? Let's say to win this game, I think you're going to need a defensive score, a special team score, uh, in some regard there to, to kind of really give yourself a, a chance to win this game on Sunday. It's going to be very, very, very interesting, George. It's also going to be very interesting to watch. I wonder. We haven't heard anything. We haven't seen anything. I wonder if Dan Snyder will make an appearance at Lucas Oil Stadium. I wonder if, honestly, like, Will he be allowed? Like, I don't know if I, I don't know what the policy is, but I wonder if Jim Mercer says, "Sorry, you're not coming in." It's going to be that might be more dramatic. Seeing kind of the the on the field, if there's a meeting pregame or kind of if you're at home watching the game on TV, seeing if the cameras pan to the owners' box, then maybe what's, what's going on in the field this week? There's a lot of drama between these oh, two owners. Yeah. I don't know. You know, does Ursay tell him that here's a seat in the 600 level? Go sit in the, in the nosebleeds. And, you know, I don't know. That's going to be a really interesting situation. Here's two tickets. One for you, one for Carson. Why you go, go up there and, and, you know, make yourself comfortable? Uh, I, I do not know. Uh, I, I, I doubt Carson's here. I mean, he doesn't have to travel, right? He's injured. Um, that'll be – although, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of guys on this team that are still really friendly with him, and there's a lot of guys that he's very friendly with, so – you know, maybe he wants to come and, and see them, but I'm sure he's not going to make a visit to the owner's box. I don't. If I had to guess, I would say he probably doesn't show up. Because I would assume, right? Like, I, mean, my guess. I think he's going to get booed. Like, sure, he could be friendly with a lot of guys on the team, but I I think he'd be more afraid of the fan reaction, which is not going to be very kind. I mean, most of the time, injured quarterbacks don't travel. I, I think that's, you know, more often than not the case because they're rehabbing and, and you know, I don't know what his situation is and how close he is to coming back. If, if he's going to be back, like, he's on IR, right? So yes. he's still a couple weeks away. I would say it's most likely he's not there uh, because in, in most circumstances, that would be the case. You're usually not back until, like, right before you come back um, because you've got all, a lot of other things that the team would rather you be taking care of than watching the game on, on Sunday. So... Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I think with him, it, it's one thing. With with Snyder, it's a much more interesting kind of a situation. Um, you know, I will say this. Kudos to Jim Ursay. We kind of covered it real quick at the time. Um, I'm, I think he's in a unique position to be the guy to speak up and, and say this, but somebody had to do it. Uh, you know, Dan Snyder's been a blight on this league for 20 years, and – you know, congratulations to Jeremy Ursay for having the guts to come out and say it publicly. And I have to assume and imagine, George, most, if not almost all the other owners agree with Jim Ursay. Just 
whether it's business reasons, whether it's professional reasons, whether it's just they don't have the stones to do it, no one else said it. So you're right. We'll, we'll see kind of what happens and what goes from here. Um, but Jersey, at least whether the other owners wanted to or not, sounds like he kind of got the ball rolling on the future of Dan Snyder for really the first time, uh, kind of putting some internal pressure on him for the first time, and really ever, despite the fact that all the heinous things we hear, uh, you know, it goes on with his with his team and how he runs the commanders or just, again, being an awful owner and basically forcing and alienating what is a very good fan base in the NFL, just basically forcing them to be apathetic to the team for the last two decades. It's been unreal to see kind of what's going on there in Washington so far. It'll be interesting to see if he does make an appearance at good old Lucas Austin with his new best pal, Jim Irsay, on Sunday. When we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, Craig Hoffman of the Take Command podcast will go behind Emmy Lyons, give us what he's kind of looking at in this matchup here from the commander's perspective. Lines, we welcome in Craig Hoffman, host of the Take Command podcast and also the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 down there in D.C. Craig, welcome back, or I should say welcome to Behind Enemy Lines right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, you got it, Ryan. Uh, I, I see what you did there because you were on our show this morning, so it feels like a welcome back, but now I get to answer the questions instead of ask them. Or maybe it's I just nice hijacked that the whole thing. Maybe reversed. I just like, ha-ha, I ask the questions now. Take command. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm the end. That is great. Speaking of taking command, right? The, the commanders make a big trade in the offseason, take our former quarterback in Carson Wentz. Now you have him. Obviously, Carson Wentz Hurts has been playing recently, but overall, when he was playing, what was your thoughts? What was your interpretations? Was it did he play to your level? Do you think he's gonna be better? Kind of what was your overall thoughts on Carson Wentz so far as a as a commander? Um, well, my expectations weren't particularly high um, for Carson Wentz. I did not like the fit at all. Um, I thought that there's obviously some things that he could do really well, and he showed some of those. I mean, the Jacksonville game to start the season, uh, he throws a couple of balls that you're just like, wow, that wasn't available, uh, basically, since at least Kirk Cousins was here, and the arm strength difference between Cousins and uh, Wentz is, is quite different as well. But just, I mean, you're dealing with guys like Alex Smith. Taylor Heineke doesn't have a great arm, so you just you get used to it. You see a ball zip out of Wentz's hands, you're like, oh, my God. The problem is the... Offense was pretty predictable. I think that that was a reflection of Wentz's ability to handle more complexity. And he also doesn't make the throws that make this offense work down in, down out, even if he'll hit some big ones. And so that was kind of my expectation coming into the year. And he more than lived up to it. Uh, obviously, it got really bad in his last start uh, that Thursday nighter that everybody got to watch against Chicago, where he threw for a whopping 99 yards. But I'll let him off the hook for that one because he was apparently playing with a fractured finger, which we found out later. Yeah, a lot of that sounds very familiar uh, to watching last year here in Indianapolis. Uh, what is it about Taylor Heineke, though? Because obviously he has his limitations. There's a reason he's been a backup for, for the majority of his career. But it seems like he has, you know, some success. The team has some success when he gets in there under center. He has it. Whatever it is, it is not arm strength. And you guys will see that there are going to be some balls that float out on Sunday that you're going to just wonder, how is that thing still in the air? How has it not been picked? And then someone will catch it wearing the same jersey that Taylor's wearing. It is remarkable. But he really has an understanding of the offense as well. He understands on concept level as opposed to like individual matchup level. So, for instance, the play of the game in their win over Green Bay is this third down ball that he throws way before Terry's out of his break, as he's getting hit, his eyes are actually closed as he releases it. 
but he just knows based off the concept and the coverage that he can throw the ball. And so it's in the air forever floating out on a deep out route or a you know mid-level out route. And that's a ball that should theoretically be picked, but he understands it's not going to because of the leverage and everything the cornerback's playing with. So he's got some of that. He's pretty mobile and those kinds of things allow him to succeed. He extends plays, he scrambles, which is obviously incredibly valuable as you know, I'm sure you guys will learn with Sam Ellinger compared to Matt Ryan. Uh, but it is, it's that stuff that I think, and the competitive level or the competitiveness. And I think just his story, right? It's an inspiring story. He's an undrafted guy. He's sitting on the couch, literally taking math classes online during COVID. And the commanders are like, hey, you're our emergency guy. Stay as ready as you can. And turns out he starts a playoff game and plays decently well, even though it was in a loss to Tom Brady. And now all of a sudden he's got this mythological nature to him and, and, but guys really believe in him. And so that's, that's not necessarily a reflection on Carson as, as I know, obviously that was a huge topic of discussion there. Um, but there is something that's different with Heineke that just inspires belief. Oh, and he knows that Terry McLaurin, uh, Indianapolis zone <laughs> is their best receiver. He throws to him more often than every other quarterback that might have something to do with his success. Smart man, smart man, for sure. Throwing in the best receiver. What a, what a concept there, Craig. Um, you mentioned kind of the, the differences between Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. Overall, like, is this offense going to look a lot different now that you know Taylor Heineke is the guy at least in the short term? Like, well, what can Colts fans or what should the Colts defense, I guess, expect offensively from the Commanders on Sunday? So, what's hysterical about the Heineke to Wentz back to Heineke thing is they it's like they looked at Taylor and went, "What does this guy not do? What do we need to get? We need a taller guy who has a bigger arm." And then they didn't account for the fact that just getting the tall guy with the big arm could potentially leave a deficit in all of the things that Taylor did well. And that's not necessarily a defense of Heineke in that I think he should have been the starter or anything. He shouldn't have been. He's a high-end, high, high, high-end backup, low, very low-end starter. That's who he is. But some of the stuff that he does well is literally the exact opposite of the stuff Carson does well. Carson throws well on the outs because he's got the cannon arm. He doesn't see the middle of the field well at all. Taylor's the opposite. He does do that. Carson is a statue who cannot run at this point in his career. Taylor's an effective runner who I actually wish they would do uh, more designed run stuff with him. So the difference, like it's the same offense, but the routes that get thrown, the reads that get made, and then the off schedule stuff is completely different. So I think to the average fan, not watching all 22, watching the route concepts develop, it will look very different watching a Heineke start versus a went start the other thing too is the processing speed is miles miles better with heineke wentz is late on basically everything uh and heineke is is certainly a guy who throws in the, the rhythm and timing of plays it really feels like i'm reliving last year here thanks for that <laughs> um you just said him here thank absolutely thank, thank old jim or <laughs> uh from a defensive standpoint we talked with Jonathan Taylor today, and he, he had a lot to say about that Washington front, how active they are in the front seven, how disruptive they can be. Uh, I would expect the Colts are going to come out with RPOs. I mean, that that's what we would think initially is going to be the biggest difference uh, with Ellinger under center. How how dangerous is Washington at shutting down an offense like that? Uh, they've been a mixed bag over the last couple of years. Um, their defense has just been completely different this year than it was last year, and it's completely different than it was week one and in the preseason, to be honest. They they were really lucky in week one to win that game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence just missed some pretty easy ones, and they kind of got away with some stuff. And to an extent, they did that last week as well with Green Bay, something you typically do not get away with against yeah. Aaron Rodgers. But 
this current version of Rodgers compare or with this current crop of receivers in Green Bay is just not not a unit that can take advantage of mistakes. But where they have been exceptional is against the run. And so I would imagine they're if they're going to try to run a bunch of RPO, I would run it with the understanding that you can force Ellinger to pass out of that. Um, it's also, you know, against an RPO type of scheme, Montez Sweat is a disaster to run that against. If he's going to be the player that you option, he is athletic enough to force a handoff or force a quarterback run based off of what he does and then go tackle the guy who winds up with the ball. So he will faint inside and then go tackle your running back outside. He will faint outside and then you hand the ball off or you keep it and then he'll go get your quarterback. His speed is a single or a singular like wrecking factor. Obviously, you have other players on the other side if you want to run it to the James Smith Williams Casey Tuhill side, but those guys are pretty disciplined. And what the the commanders lack in experience and, and even skill, you could argue with the linebacker position, they make up with with speed. And so Cole Holcomb's a four five guy. Uh Jamin Davis is like a four four guy. And so while you can trick those guys and and I think you'll probably hit some slants, RPO, you know, those kinds of throws. If you're trying to run to the edges against this team, it's not going to go well. They're also super physical, as you would imagine, inside with Allen and Payne, who are two of the best interior linemen in football. And so running that inside zone type of stuff that Indy's been running a lot of, I would not imagine that goes particularly well either, unless the O-line plays a lot better. So I know that sounds uh, really tough, and it could be, but I think that there is an opportunity to, you know, my co-host, Logan Paulson, who played in the league 10 years, he, he loves to call them game plan runs where like you throw a little bit of window dressing on there, you get guys shifting one way, then you can, you know, maybe catch a hole somewhere and you get a big one. They've given up a lot of that this year. So if Reich and, and obviously whoever's in charge of the run game there can, can really figure out, okay, let's use some of that speed, some of that aggressiveness against them. Uh, there's a chance to hit some big ones. And, and that is obviously where a guy like Taylor, who has home run speed and can score on big runs, becomes such a gigantic asset. It's interesting too, Craig, because you obviously you have Sam Ellinger making his first career start. And have you gotten a sense defensively what the game plan is going to be for for how to attack that? Because you can, I could argue, make an argument both ways where you can drop seven or eight guys to basically kind of read his eyes because most of the time young quarterbacks will tell you where they're throwing the ball. Or do you want to blitz him and kind of speed up his clock and kind of always put him under pressure? Have you gotten a sense of what kind of direction the commanders kind of go defensively in approaching a guy making his first career start? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I've I've asked Logan many times with some of the quarterbacks they face this year. It's like, okay, well, knowing this piece of information, whether it's they're bad against the blitz or it's they're young, like, what do you do? And the answer, have you gotten a sense of what kind of direction the commanders kind of go defensively in approaching a guy making his first career start? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I've I've asked Logan many times with some of the quarterbacks they face this year. It's like, okay, well, knowing this piece of information, whether it's they're bad against the blitz or it's they're young, like, what do you do? And the answer has consistently been to not blitz a ton, like, because they can get pressure with four. Like, when you've got Allen and Payne and Sweat and, you know, James Smith Williams has a little bit of pass rush juice. Casey Tuhill has a little bit of pass rush juice. Uh, F.A. Obata's had a good year as a pass rusher. Uh, Shaka Tony is their one like kind of speed guy off the edge, super situational player, but he's got some dip and some bend to him. And so if you can get those guys in obvious passing situations, so like you play well against the run first and second down, they've had no problem pinning their ears back and getting pressure. Jamin Davis is a pretty good blitzer. Cam Curl is a good blitzer. So even if they bring five, they get the one-on-one matchups up front and, and things have gone pretty well for them. So I do think like, Ellinger's going to have to prepare. They'll show him some stuff at the line. 
uh, he's going to have to understand the the few blitzes that could be coming, and he's not going to know when they're coming. But largely, they will drop seven into coverage, trust their their coverage, and then uh, try to get that pressure with four. And and because so much of the pressure comes from the interior, it can get there quickly. And for a shorter guy like Ellinger, too, you always wonder about throwing lanes and and. They've had a couple of batted balls. They even had a, an interception on that Thursday night game where F.A. Obata just got hit in the head and the ball popped up in the air off his helmet, <laughs> yeah. which uh, if, if you or your audience don't know, Obata's British, and so he just said he was he was knocking the rust off his soccer skills. It wasn't on purpose. He, <laughs> he, he's, he got a big head and he's got a helmet on it and it just got in the way. But uh, we'll, we'll give it. We'll give F.A. the credit. Give him the header on that one. Yeah, uh, You're confirming a lot of things that I think make us uh, a little bit nervous about this quarterback change. Uh, and I think Washington has a lot of things that can take advantage of that and, and make it look bad for the Colts. I want to talk about something off the field real quick. I think we'd be remiss not to mention this. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, you know, Jim Irsay comes out and says that, that he thinks Dan Snyder should be forced to sell the team. Normally when that happens on Twitter, I get avalanched by, by the fans of the other team, you know, defending. I haven't heard a word in defense of Dan Snyder. Yeah, it's because nobody wants to defend him. <laughs> I've had a couple of people call my show. They're like, ah, this, that, or you've had, I've had some weird calls this, this last couple of weeks, but I was on the air when, when that broke um, and had another one of the beat reporters who's a regular contributor to our show in studio with us. And we were just kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, to have another owner finally go on the record and, and say out loud what all of us have known for a long time, which is even if you put aside the heinous behavior that is in the various reports and testimony from Congress. And there's, there's ultimately five investigations into Snyder that are active right now. The attorneys general, yes, I get to use attorneys general of DC, Maryland, and Virginia. All three of them are all investigating him. There's the Mary Jo White investigation being conducted by the NFL and the house oversight committee are all investigating. So as that information has come out, as the very scarce information we got from the Wilkinson report came out, even though they did not release the full report, like, even if you push that stuff aside, this guy's a terrible owner who's bad for the league. And so I actually appreciated Ursay saying, yeah, like, this is bad and he's deteriorated the fan base, but this is about the behavior. This is about um, the women, mostly women, but there's some men as well who were mistreated in an unprofessional environment that does not meet the standard of what it is to work for an NFL franchise. I appreciated that he actually took what I think is the morally correct stance, which is like, this behavior cannot be tolerated. But he also, and others in the ESPN story that remained anonymous, said the, the other part of this, which I've never understood for a long time, which is, why don't they just kick him out because he sucks? Like, why don't they kick him out because he's bad for business? He's really bad uh, for, in terms of bringing down the value of a premier franchise in this league. I mean, you also had, not to rehash this too much now on, on a Colts podcast, but like the NFL had their opportunity, right? They're doing this investigation. The team is going through a rebrand. Mm -hmm. They could have just said, hey, let's do secret handshake. Everybody in the room without Dan, now's the time. They could have had a new owner with a new name that definitely wouldn't have been of commanders because it pulled the worst <laughs> of all of them. And they could have literally started over. Instead, they kept him, and now everyone's like, we we got to get this guy out of here. And I applaud Ursay for having the the cojones to say it out loud. Does Dan Snyder go to the away games? Like, will he be an Indy of any idea? So he does typically go to the games. Whether or not he will be an Indy is fascinating. Because, yeah. like, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, there was a big hullabaloo 
And this was right before, like literally the Sunday before the ESPN story dropped. The commanders were in Dallas and he took this picture with Jerry Jones where Jerry looked like a hostage. And it's like friends and competitors for 24 years. I feel so bad for whoever the social media admin is for the commanders who had to deal with that and post that. But yeah, I, I am very curious if there will be any kind of uh, one appearance, but two meeting where typically the owners will say hello before the game. I don't, I don't think there's any love lost there between Snyder and Ursa. Definitely. I mean, there may be more interest in the owner's box than there is on the field on, on Sunday in all honesty. How mad is Fox that they made this their, one of their 425 picks? <laughs> I know at the time they're thinking Carson Wentz revenge game and you're going to have all these stories with Matt Ryan versus, you know, Carson Wentz. And, and here we are with Taylor Heineke versus Sam Ellinger. Uh, you know, from last one for me, if you've been through the, the, the quarterback change, you know, a couple times here with Heineke and back, if there's anything that Ellinger can bring as a spark, what do you think that would be? His ability to scramble. Um, ben Solak wrote a phenomenal piece in The Ringer this week. Um, and we had Ben on the show yesterday to talk about this. Scrambles have become perhaps the singular most valuable play in football. Um, when you look at like, you know, not just quali- or quanti- qualitatively, but quantitatively, right? Not just like, oh, I think they're important because I feel it in my heart. Like you look at EPA, which is one of the best advanced statistics out there and probably the most valuable one because it's literally like, how many points are added based off of this thing that happened? Because scrambles happen often on third down, because they often pick up first downs, they move EPA more than basically any other play or any other type of play that exists regularly in a football game. And so with that ability that Ellinger has to freelance, to make plays off schedule, to scramble and pick up first downs, that is the thing that I think should give Colts fans, especially with an offensive line that is giving up a lot of pressure currently, um, some hope. It's really interesting the the comparison between Heineke and Ellinger because where Ellinger might struggle is also where Heineke has struggled at times, which is to ultimately score. Like I would expect Ellinger is fine between the twenties. He will figure out how to move the ball. They will run it more. They will probably have better play calling and be efficient because they're not trying to just be like, ah, Matt, save us, right? They're gonna run the ball more and stick with it and the scrambles and, and some of the rollouts and things that are super effective. When space gets tight in the in between, you know, in the red zone, that's where I wonder where the arm strength and, and the decision-making, whatever Heineke's been all right. Uh, he was good in the red zone, had a touchdown last week. He had a great red zone drive in the preseason, but historically speaking, that ability to rack up yardage, but not points has killed them when he's been the starter. And I would imagine the similar thing is going to happen to the Colts. So uh, I don't know what the, the total is in Vegas uh, as of now for this game, but I'd imagine it's not super high. And I would feel, Craig, take the under. Take the under in this. I think you're 100% They don't right. air condition the desert because they lose, Ryan. Yeah, that is 100% <laughs> true. Colts fans, if you want an even more in-depth breakdown, breakdown of this matchup, make sure you check out Craig and his co-host Logan Paulson on the Take Command podcast. Craig, thanks so much for joining us here and looking forward to a game where, honestly, there might be more action in the owner's box than on the field. So thanks so much for uh, for coming on uh, the Colts podcast here. Uh, you got it. All I ask is if there's an owner fight, we do this again on Monday. <laughs> Absolutely. In. Absolutely. I'm in. Good. I'm in. Thank you, Craig. You got it. Uh, appreciate you. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys. See ya. Again, we thank Craig Hoffman for making our three, two, and one. Again, we do thank Craig Hoffman for hopping aboard the Blue Horseshoe Pod right here. If you like what you hear on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast, make sure you're downloading, make sure you're subscribing, and also make sure you're telling a friend. 
it's always fun to listen and talk about the Colts with someone else. So, George, we, you know, Craig brought an interesting aspect to, to uh, what he was saying, especially when it comes to Taylor Heineke and this offense and the difference between him and Carson Wentz. It sounds obvious, but it's kind of funny how sometimes just the obvious, the obvious move or the obvious answer isn't always done in the NFL. And that's one of the reasons why Taylor Heineke has success is because, oh, he decided I'm just going to throw it ad nauseum to the best receiver we have in Terry McLaurin. And Terry's going to make plays at a beautiful 37-yard touchdown catch last week at the Packers. I'll tell you this, I cannot wait for the Terry McLaurin, Stephon Gilmore one-on-one matchup that's probably going to happen for the, the majority of the game. That's going to be, you know, outside of obviously just a quarterback battle and watching Sam Ellinger, I think that's going to be honestly where my eyes are going to go next after that. I know a lot of Colts fans are going to be focused on Terry McLaurin. Indianapolis Cathedral product. Uh, grew up as a Colts fan. Said he, he sat in the 500 level with his dad growing up. Uh, it's going to be a big day for him, and I'm sure he's going to want to have a big game coming home, uh, playing in that stadium oh, yeah. for the first time as a pro. Uh, and, and Stephon Gilmore is going to have his work cut out for him. You know, that's what he was brought here to do. Forget about everything else that's gone on this week. Stephon Gilmore's job was to come in and take away the other team's top target. This is exactly the kind of week that, that, that you need him to do that. Uh, he is by far the biggest weapon on that Washington team. Uh, and I think it's going to be a, it, it should be a really, really fun matchup to watch. And if, if Heineke is as sort of, uh, gunslingery as, as he's tended to be, uh, it'll give Gilmore maybe some chances to make plays. You know, every every time this year someone's tested him, he's kind of stood up and made a play. More often than not, people haven't really tested him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Especially, too, because this is his first real true test of his Colts career. Like, you look through the first seven games, they played the Chiefs in week three, but also, I mean, it's like he was matchup mostly against Travis Kelsey. Now it's kind of the big the receiving threat the Chiefs have, you know, no defense to Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Juju Smith-Schuster. They don't tear McLaurin and, you know, some of the other teams, whether they're run heavy, the Broncos have really no one. Cortland Sun's a good receiver, but I think Tamar McLaurin's better. So this is kind of, like I said, a nice, true big test for, for Gilmore, not just only the caliber of receiver uh, he's going against, but also through the volume. Like you mentioned, he doesn't really get tested much. I don't think Taylor Heineke is going to be scared. Like I said, he's more of a gunslinger mentality than more of that Brett Favre. He's not going to shy away, it sounds like, from Stephon Gilmore's side of the field for sure. So he should have chances. And we talked about earlier in the pod, George, right, when it comes to making a splash point defense, the guy we circle first and foremost, Shaq Leonard, if he's on the field, well, you kind of brought up before, too, this could be a guy where you can have, you know, Stephon Gilmore make a, you know, a game-changing pick uh, to kind of turn this game around, too, for the Colts. Yep, and don't forget about Isaiah Rogers. He's my dark horse for, for Sunday. I'm going to stick with him I as love well. It. I cannot wait, George, for, for you to go two for eight in picks. And the, forget the game <laughs> pick. Just get the Isaiah Rodgers big-time pick, big-time play. I'm that's You know what? Screw it. I take back what I said. I'm watching <laughs> Isaiah Rodgers this entire game, see if you can get one big play to, to get you right. So speaking of getting this game right, George, it is time for our game picks here. We have only gotten one game pick correct. That was week two, Jaguars, which, again, we've called the free space game because the Colts in Jacksonville guaranteed loss. I don't know if you have a good feel for this one. I personally do not. But we'll ask you this. Pick a, you know, who are you picking? What's the score? How are we kind of feeling about this one? Yeah, I don't have a great feel for this. I think I'm going to make Colts fans happy with my pick, though. Uh, first of all, I want to throw out there this, Zach, because I don't think I got to it on the on the pod last time. No quarterback making his NFL, his first NFL start, has won for the Colts since 1988, Chris Chandler. I looked that one up. Chandler Oof. beat Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. It was 15 to 13. So uh, I think that's kind of the probably the, the blueprint that the Colts want on Sunday. Uh, but I think I'm going to make the Colts fans happy. Every time I've picked against them, they've won. Uh, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick the commanders. Uh, 
Low scoring game. I'm going to go 20 to 13. Other thing about this, neither team, both of them have three wins. Neither team has won by more than one score this year. So I think it's a good chance it's a one score game. I'm going commanders 20 to 13. Something I don't get here. Why the Colts favored? I just double checked. The Colts are favored depending on what sports we're looking at by either two and a half or three points. And this is like, this is updated like within hours on Thursday, not like on last week or on Sunday before the, the court act change is made. That's fascinating to me. But with like you said, I'm actually taking the commanders too. I think 2017, I like, I like the number 20. I think it's going to be a very low scoring game. I think Taylor Heineke is going to give the Colts defense an opportunity to make a player too. But with that said, I still think this Washington defense, even though they've had, you know, times of inconsistency, they're very athletic and they're very fast. I think that's going to be an issue for the Colts because I think more time, or especially for this game, they're going to try to go more wide, let's say, whether it's Sam Ellinger or whether it's John Taylor. And that's a lot of speed that Washington has. I think they'll be able to chase them down. I do think we'll see some sort of some sort of spark, some sort of life, but in this game specifically, I don't think it'll be enough to take down the commanders. I will go 20 to 17. Like you mentioned, both teams love playing close games. So I don't think that's going to change here. And I don't think either offense that's really kind of struggled with consistency is all of a sudden now going to be looking like, you know, one of the greatest show on turf, let's say. So I'll go 2017, a defensive slugfest here, but I'm with you. I'm picking the commanders. And likewise, George, for the most part, anytime I picked against the Colts, they have won. So good news for you Colts fans here. Congratulations. The Colts will go to 4-3-1 and one, and we'll be making a playoff push. Come the, the post-game pod we record on Sunday night after Sam Ellinger leads them to a dramatic victory. And congratulations to Sam Ellinger on making history, right? First guy since 88 <laughs> to, yes. to win that first, first NFL start. So, uh, yeah. Did you put I that mean, in, the, I, it, in the rafters there? Why not? There's a banner for everything else. Why not? You know, you have, Sam Ellinger wins first start. There might be a beat Dan Snyder banner. Who knows? That might be the one that goes up. Make a separate one. Beat Dan Snyder. AFC uh, was a finalist, and then Sam yep. Ellinger, first quarterback to win his first career start since 1988. Get, get, get the banners printed now and get them ready so as soon as the game's over, boom, you can raise them right there. Get the crowd going. That would get the crowd fired up. Uh, the beat Dan Snyder would. Maybe both both fans, both fan bases be excited That's about true. that one. <laughs> that is very true. So that will do it for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. It's going to be an interesting game. We'll see what Sam Elgar can do in, in his first career start. There'll be a lot to react to, so make sure if you like the preview pod, make sure you check us out on the post-game pod. We'll be releasing that Sunday night after the Colts-Commanders game. So enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you on Sunday night right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.